All there's nothing up on the board, up on the screen except that. Everything else is in your notes except for the first one we'll talk about. We're doing praying for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Um, we're doing that because May is the end of May is when Pentecost is. So Pentecost Sunday, I believe, is the last Sunday of May, uh, maybe the 30th, 31st. I'm not sure the exact date. So keeping in line with the calendar of what God did in the past, what he does, we want to pray all month for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit to be our prayer focus. To start, we are going to kind of look at the day of Pentecost. So open your Bible to Acts 1. This first part is not in your notes, um, but it's just kind of lay the groundwork for what we will be in, in your notes. Acts 1, uh, page 830 if you have a pew Bible. We're going to look at the first five verses at first. Luke writes, the first account, I composed Theopolis about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After he had given orders by the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, to these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days, speaking of things regarding the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father promised, which he said, you have heard of me. For John baptized with water, that you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So the first part of Acts chapter 1 deals with Jesus giving his final instructions to the apostles. Now, one of the things we always want to notice with this is what he says in verse 3. In my Bible it says, he presented himself alive after many convincing proofs. When the disciples left here, went to the upper room to begin to pray, they didn't believe Jesus had risen from the dead. They knew Jesus had risen from the dead. They had seen the risen Christ multiple times. He had given them many ways to show he was physically alive. He wasn't a spirit. It wasn't a vision. It wasn't a dream. It wasn't a, a delusion that they had come up with together. Jesus was really alive. And this is important because the really Christianity as a whole kind of rises on Jesus. Everything about Jesus and His resurrection is key to this. But if Jesus died and stayed dead, and His life and His death really meant nothing. If, on the other hand, Jesus rose from the dead as the Bible said He did, then this resurrection gives testimony He is the Son of God. And if He is the Son of God, what He said is true, what He said He can do is true, and, and therefore we must live for Him and understand that. So the resurrection of Jesus, it's not a, a faith event, so to speak. It is a, a literal event. It truly and legitimately happened. So Jesus, after giving them these convincing proofs, He tells them in verses 4 and 5, not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait together. For the promise of the Holy Spirit. Now he didn't tell them how long it would be. Just not many days from now. Now jump to verse 12. When they returned from the mount called Olivet. Which is near Jerusalem. A Sabbath day's journey away. When they had entered the city. They went up to the stairs. Upstairs to the upstairs room. Where they were staying. That is Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew. Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus. Simon the zealot. Judas the son of James. All of these were continually devoting themselves with one mind to prayer, along with the women, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. At this time, Peter stood up among the brothers and sisters. A group of about 120 people was there together. So basically, Jesus ascends into heaven. After he does, they go and they gather all of the disciples, all of those who still believed in Jesus, and they begin to pray. Now, we're not told specifically what they're praying for. But, given the fact that Jesus told them to wait until the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit, came, it is a safe conclusion to say they were praying for God to keep His Word. They were praying for this promise to come to pass. They knew it would. They didn't know when. They didn't know how long. But they began to pray for God to pour out the Holy Spirit upon them as Jesus said He would. Now if you jump to Acts chapter 2, we see again, Acts 2 and 1, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a noise like a violent rushing wind came from heaven, 
And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And tongues that looked like fire appeared to them, distributing themselves. And a tongue rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Holy Spirit was giving them the ability to speak out. Right, so the Holy Spirit is now, this is where the Holy Spirit is actively poured out upon them. Now in verse 1, again in my Bible, it says they were all together. Now the phrase all together, in some places it says they were in one accord, some translations. But it's the same phrase that's used in verse 14 of chapter 1 saying they were all of one mind. So while this does mean they were all together like we're all together, it means more than that. They were not only all in the same room together, they were all of one mind. They were all in one accord. They all had one purpose when they gathered there. And again, it doesn't specifically say they were praying, but given where this word is used in verse 14 of chapter 1, and that they were praying there, it is again a safe conclusion to say they were praying here when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them. So they gathered together. They were of one mind all together and they began to pray. Now, I mention this because while I do not believe there is any specific formula that we can pray and make the Holy Spirit come down. Right? The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is a person. We cannot call the Holy Spirit down at will because we decide. But I think there are certain factors which we can have which will either Make it more likely for the Holy Spirit to come or make it less likely for the Holy Spirit to come. And one of the main ones is being all together, being of one mind, being in one accord. Given the the emphasis Jesus places on unity, the New Testament places on unity, I think it is safe to say the Holy Spirit will not be poured out on a local congregation filled with strife and division. Now, our church doesn't have that problem. But this isn't me saying this because we're a really divided congregation and we need to lay that aside. That's not that's not us. In all the time I've been here, we have never been a divided congregation for which I am very, very thankful. If you have ever been a part of a church where there was strife and division, um, it is a terrible thing. If you have only ever been a part of a church like ours where there is such unity, you you can tend to take it for granted. But I mention it because... And I mentioned this Sunday in Sunday school as we looked at Acts 2. Unity is a fragile thing. Unity is like fine crystal. It is there and it's so pretty and it's so what it ought to be. But it doesn't take much to fracture it. It doesn't take much to damage it. And when it's damaged, the damage tends to get worse and worse over time. And so this is why, for instance, in, in the book of Ephesians, we're told to strive to maintain unity. Right, So we have a blessed unity in our church. We are truly, God has been good to us in that. But the, we must endeavor to maintain the unity of the Spirit if we intend for the Holy Spirit to be poured down upon us. And we are tonight gathered here primarily to pray for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We are essentially doing what they were doing on the day of Pentecost. We we want to be united in heart, united in mind, and united in purpose in seeking an outpouring of the Holy Spirit so He would fill our lives, He would fill our church, and He would guide us in all we do in every aspect of our lives. Now, a question that could come up is, if the Holy Spirit came here, like He did here, and we know that once the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, why should we seek more. Why should we spend time praying for the Holy Spirit? Right? We, we know they did because they had yet to receive the Holy Spirit. But we have the Holy Spirit. Why would we pray? We do this because this is what Jesus said to do. Turn to Luke chapter 11, verse 9. Luke 11, verse 9, page 793, if you have a pew Bible. Jesus said, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. 
and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Now, which one of you fathers will his son ask for a fish and instead of a fish, he will give him a snake? Or will he even ask for an egg and his father will give him a scorpion? So if you, despite being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So here Jesus is explicitly teaching us to pray for the Holy Spirit. Right? We are to, and really the wording he uses is strong, right? Um, ask, seek, and knock. We're familiar with those terms. Now, if you have like, a, I think the New Living Translation says, ask and keep on asking. Is that what you're saying, Sharon? Ask and keep on asking in verse 9. Okay. The original New Living Translation, that's the second edition. The, uh, the original one would say, ask and keep on asking, seek and keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking. Because the, the, the Greek word is in the, I don't know, like the continuing tense. In other words, it is present imperative, I think, is the exact way you're supposed to say it. And what it means is it's not saying ask once and move on. Seek once and move on. Knock once and move on. Instead, the picture is you ask and keep on asking. You Knock and keep on knocking. You seek and keep on seeking until God gives you the answer. We do it with confidence because we would give good gifts to our children. We would not give bad things to our children who asked for us the things that they needed in life. Therefore, if we being evil would give good gifts to our children, how much more will our Heavenly Father give us what we need? And in this case, what we need is the the constant filling of The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit is given in response to definite, persistent prayer. And and the reality from this is every disciple of Jesus who wants to be spirit filled and spirit led in every area of their life can be. We we didn't look at it in Acts 2, um, but I should have. But at the end of Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, he says the Holy Spirit is for you. And for your children and for those who are far off and for as many as the whom the Lord our God will call. Right. So the Holy Spirit isn't for particular believers. Right. There's not first second class believers who are saved but don't have the spirit. And then there's the first class super believers who are saved and have the spirit. No, the Holy Spirit is for all of us. And so all of us can be filled with the spirit. All of us can be led by the Spirit. All of us can have the Spirit's work, the fullness of His work in our lives. But we have to believe it. We have to want it. And we have to seek it. And and I think, and, and I think I could prove this, not from this passage in particular, but if I had time to look at the Bible as a whole, I think I can prove this is something we have to seek at the daily, probably. Paul says to... To be being filled by the Holy Spirit in Ephesians 5. So it's not I'm filled with the Spirit today and then I'm, I'm good. That's it forever. It is we need to be filled and the picture is we leak. Right? We live in a world that is, that is the opposite of the Spirit. We give in to those desires sometimes. We struggle with things. We, we leak. And so we need to be filled with the Spirit today. And we're going to need to be filled with the Spirit tomorrow. And we're going to need to be filled with the Spirit the day after that. And so we just continually, every day, pray and seek the filling, the leading, and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. So as we gather tonight, we want to be sure we're on the same page. We want to be sure we are with one mind in what we're seeking. And this is what we're seeking. We're seeking the filling of the Spirit the leading of the Spirit, and the empowering of the Spirit in us individually and in our church corporately. As individuals, we want to be Spirit-filled, Spirit-led, Spirit-empowered people. And as a church, we want to be a Spirit-filled, Spirit-led, Spirit-empowered church. So let's take a few minutes right now and, and pray for the Holy Spirit to fill us, to lead us, to empower us as individuals. And let's also pray for the Holy Spirit to fill us, lead us, and work in us as a church.
Father, we come tonight and we do praise you for your grace and your goodness. We praise you for the gift of the Spirit which you have given to all who believe in Jesus. Jesus said that all who thirsted could come to him and they would find living water. That living water was the Spirit which was given after he died and was risen and had ascended into heaven. As we look at this next phase especially, at what the Holy Spirit does in our lives, create a thirst and a desire for these things within us. Create within us a longing for the fullness of the Spirit. Help us to see where maybe we do not live to the full potential of what we could have in Christ because of the Spirit's filling and leading and empowering. And Father, where we lack and where we fall short, let this Word be like salt that makes us thirsty for the living water of the Spirit. And let us go to Jesus and cry out to Him. Cry out to Him daily. Cry out to Him without ceasing. Cry out to Him until the Holy Spirit is poured out upon us in increasingly large levels until our lives are led and just guided completely by the Spirit till the Spirit is evident in our lives in the ways we're going to see from Your Word tonight. Guide our church in this. Let this be a place where the Spirit has liberty to move. Let this be a place where the Spirit works to convict of sin and cause people to be born again. Let this be a place where the Spirit has liberty to to lead people, to guide them, and to, to cause them to draw closer to You and to become more and more like Jesus. Father, have Your way in our lives. Surrender this time to You. Pour Your Spirit out upon us and let us be Spirit-filled, Spirit-led, and Spirit-empowered all throughout our lives. We ask in Jesus' name, for His sake. Amen. As we pray for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, for Him to fill us and lead us and empower us, we need to have an idea of what this would look like. What would it look like for the Holy Spirit to be poured out upon us in our lives? What does the Holy Spirit do? In our lives. Why do I need the Holy Spirit? These are the kind of questions we need to ask and, and we want to answer. So as we go through this, I, I've got a guide. That's what the, the most of the handout is, is, is a guide. These are what the Bible says, what God's word says the Holy Spirit does in us and through us and for us. And we're just going to quickly go through these and see what they are to see how much we need these things in our life. So first, the Holy Spirit produces spiritual fruit. This is probably the, the most common thing, what we're most familiar with. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there are no law. Now, it's easy enough to look at that list and think, well, I don't, what do I need the Holy Spirit for those things for? I love people. I have joy. I have peace at times. I, I can be patient if I need to. Right? But that's not what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit doesn't produce the kind of love that I have for Kelly. Just love Kelly. It's not that that small. And I don't mean my love for Kelly is small, but you know what I mean? It's easier to love people who love you. But is that all we can expect from the Holy Spirit is for Him to give us a love for people who already love us? Is it all we can expect from the Holy Spirit to give us joy at a time in life when everything is going as we think it ought to be? Well, it's not. In fact, the fruit of the Spirit is best seen in the opposite times, in difficult times. Because it is only in the difficult times where we really need the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit to produce this. Right? So love, the kind of love that the Holy Spirit produces is the kind of love that's not really seen until there are difficult and unlovable people that come into our lives. That's like Jesus says to love your enemies, to do good to those who hate you. I mean, that's that's pretty difficult, right? I mean, you just think about what he says about loving those who love you. Even that can be hard. But loving people who not only don't love you, but actively dislike you and do bad things towards you and do good for them because you love them. Well, I can't do that on my own. Can you? No, I need the power of the Holy Spirit if I'm going to love anyone in that way. Right. Or joy. 
It's one thing, again, to have joy when everything is the way I think it ought to be. But to be like Paul and Silas, in a beaten, badly, put in prison and singing praises to God. Where does that come from? It's the Holy Spirit's work. That in these circumstances that are miserable, rather than being miserable, I, I rejoice in the Lord. And again, peace. I mean, when everything is fine and they're not watching the news and I don't care about politics, peace is not that hard. But the moment I turn on the news and the moment I start watching what's going on in the world, and the moment something in my life doesn't go the way I think it ought to, peace becomes difficult. But a peace that pass, surpasses all understanding is what the Bible promises. Where does that come from? It comes from the Holy Spirit. Or patience. It's easy to be patient when I'm here by myself and there's nobody else around. But let me go to Walmart where people are getting on my nerves. Let me be around people who, who tempt me to be angry or short. Well then, patience, that's where patience comes from. Patience is not seen until someone really tempts me to act in anger or to say something hateful or to, to be hateful in a way. Well, where does that kind of patience that's not just with people in my immediate context, but with everyone, where does that come from? Holy Spirit. It's easy to be kind until we want to be unkind. Now, you, you probably don't ever want to be unkind. But, but there are times when I do. There are times when, when I'm around people who are testing my patience that the Holy Spirit has given me. And there is a desire within me to say an unkind thing to hurt their feelings because I know what will work. So what keeps me from doing that? Not only keeps me from saying it, but actively being kind to them in that moment. Holy Spirit. There's not a challenge to be good till our sinful nature tempts us to not be good, whether it would be morally good or whether it tempts us to, to act in a way contrary to what the Bible defines as goodness in some way. So how can I be good all the time with all people in all situations? Only through the Holy Spirit. Faithfulness, keeping my word, doing what I say I'm going to do, following through, being a person of integrity. Those are difficult things. How do we do that? How are we faithful all the time, not just with one or two people or not just faithful in an area, but faithful in, in all of life? Well, that's something the Holy Spirit can produce. Gentleness, or some translations may say meekness. Again, that's something that's maybe easy enough under certain situations, but when we're tempted to be harsh, then there's a supernatural power that enables us to be gentle Instead, self-control. I don't have to have self-control to do what I want to do. But I do have to have self-control to do what I don't want to do. Or I do have to have self-control to not do what I want to do if what I want to do is wrong. Where do I get that so that I always make the right choices? I can always do what I'm supposed to do and never do what I'm not supposed to do. That only comes through the Holy Spirit. Do you see where just with that, how needed is that? Just, just think about our world today. Just think about the interactions you see on social media or you see in, in the public eye where people are interacting. How different would our world be with thousands of Christians rising up, being filled with the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit being the guiding force of their lives? How different would things be? We need the Holy Spirit's filling and empowering in our lives. The Holy Spirit enables prayer. Romans 8, it says, Now the same way the Spirit also helps our weaknesses. For we do not know what to pray for as we, all, as we should. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He searches the hearts and knows what the mind of the Spirit is because He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Any number of circumstances can come into our lives and leave us Without any idea or how to pray. Right? We, we may not know the words to pray. Or maybe we don't know God's will. Or maybe we don't even know the full situation. We just know there's something not right that needs to be prayed for. 
How do we pray in those times? How do we pray in a way that's effective? How do we pray when we're so overwhelmed with a problem, we don't know what to pray, and all we can do maybe is weep or cry out? Holy Spirit helps us to pray in these times. I, I like, He helps in our weakness, and specifically the weaknesses we don't know how to pray as we ought. I don't, again, I don't know about you. There are loads of situations I don't know how to pray for. Lots of things come up, and I don't know the right words, the right ways to say it. But I can pray confidently because the Holy Spirit is my helper in these times. He intercedes for us through the groanings, which cannot be uttered, as the King James says. We don't know what to say. And because the Holy Spirit is God, and because He searches our hearts and our minds, He knows what we would pray if we knew how to pray. And because He knows what God's will is, because the Holy Spirit is God, He can take our imperfect prayers, He fixes them to what they ought to be, and He lifts them up to the Father in accordance with the Father's will. Now, listen, if we really understand what it is to pray in the Spirit like this, there is a lot of freedom in this. Because, and I've mentioned this before, one of the first times I ever went to a state meeting as a pastor, I heard a lot. They called on the old preachers to pray. And I said, guys like Wade Jernigan, D. Arthur Yandel, those kind of guys. They prayed in a way I never prayed. I mean, they prayed in the king's English. But the way they prayed and the eloquence with which they prayed, I just thought, golly, I don't know anything about prayer. And it's easy enough for, for us to think that, that prayer, the effectiveness in prayer, it comes from our eloquence, our having the right words to say at the right time. And if we just say the right words in the right way, it, it unlocks the box and God begins to move. But that's not prayer. That's magic. And God is not magic. God is not a genie. To know the Holy Spirit helps me every time I pray. And maybe my prayer is fallible and maybe I stutter and stammer and maybe I say the wrong word and maybe I just cry because I don't know any words or maybe I just say, Lord, help because I don't know anything else. That prayer is beautiful. That prayer is powerful. That prayer is effective because the Holy Spirit takes what is imperfect in me, He fixes it and He lifts it up to the Father, which frees us. To really just, just talk to God as we pray. Not have to try to say the right words. Not have to try to worry about eloquence. But we have to be spirit filled for this to happen. The Holy Spirit gives spiritual strength. Paul prays that, that God would grant them and us, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the, the inner self. Man, do you, do you need inner spiritual strength in your life? I mean, do you need the, the inner spiritual strength to be able to stand against the wiles of the devil? I, I do. Do you need inner spiritual strength to, to be able to withstand an evil day and having done all to still be standing? I do. Do you need inner strength to follow the Holy Spirit's leading? Instead of the leading of our sinful nature, which we'll talk about in a second. I do. Do we need the spiritual strength to love when the world tells us we ought to hate? Do we need inner spiritual strength to share the gospel boldly when we feel like we're afraid? Do we need inner spiritual strength to, to not be afraid in a world constantly telling us, be afraid? Do we need inner spiritual strength to, to speak clearly on the Bible issues when somebody asks us a question and not just, I don't really know, or you, know, you just kind of have to work those things out for yourself? Do we need inner spiritual strength to be the, the husband or the wife God has called us to be? I mean, we do. I, I do, I do, and I'm sure you do as well. It is difficult to live for Jesus. And anyone who tells you otherwise has not ever read the Bible. And we're not going to be able to do it on our own. We need the help of the Holy Spirit. I mean, even the basics of what Jesus said. Turn the other cheek. 
Can you do that? Can you in your own strength turn the other cheek? Can you deny yourself daily? Take up your cross and follow Him? Can you live crucified with Christ? I can't do any of that stuff by myself. I desperately need the power, the inner strength of the Holy Spirit to enable me to be anything near what Jesus has called me to be. Following the Spirit it leads us to holiness. But I say walk in the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the desire of the flesh is against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. These are in opposition to one another in order to keep you from doing whatever you want. So within all of us, we have the Spirit of God as disciples of Jesus. But within all of us, our old sinful nature is still there. The old Adamic nature. It's at work. And it's saying, go here. Act like that. Be like them. To which the Spirit of God is saying, no, no, don't do that. Go here. Act like Jesus. Do this instead. Now, this is the natural pull of life. This is the pull of culture. But the Spirit is going to lead us over here. This is the path of sin. This is the path of holiness. We can't live a holy life apart from the filling and the leading of the Holy Spirit. And the idea of these are in opposition in order to keep you from doing whatever you want, really part of the idea is it's always there. I mean, don't, don't you feel it sometimes even in small things? You get your Bible out to read it and you think, well, I haven't checked my email today. But where does that contrary desire to the Word come from? Or I'm going to pray, so I'm going to silence my phone, but oh, somebody might call. Or it, I turn it over and it vibrates. Uh-oh. Who was that? What was that? Where do these contrary desires to stop doing what we know God wants us to do and start doing something? Where does that come from? It's our flesh. How do we overcome that? Because those pools all feel so real. We overcome it by being filled with the Spirit and following the Spirit who will always lead us in the path of holiness. The Holy Spirit reveals truth to us from Scripture. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. Now, for the disciples, the original disciples, the twelve apostles, a major part of what he was going to do would be what we would call inspire them to write down God's word. Right? He was going to reveal to them, remind them of things Jesus had said, show them how to apply that, what that looked like in their modern context, how to deal with the issues that come up. And so he, he illuminated and he revealed these things to them. They wrote them down in our New Testament, wrote them out and sent them out to other people. But we live in a time now when what we call the canon of Scripture is closed. But there are no new books of the Bible being written. There is no books that were lost. There's no nothing out there. We don't have of what God intended us to have. So what does the Holy Spirit do in this relation for us today? Well, he, he reveals to us from the Word. The Holy Spirit is God who lives within us. So He knows all that's going on in our hearts and all that's going on in our minds and all of the anxieties and the circumstances and the issues and the struggles and then he knows God's perfect will because he is God. And so when we read the Bible, he's able to take something and just speak it right into our hearts, right into our lives. You ever had that experience where it's like your daily Bible reading? I mean, you didn't plan it. You didn't just like open it up to a spot. It was your daily Bible reading. And as you read it, it was like God was saying, I'm here with you in this particular situation. I mean, it spoke so clearly to what was going on. How did that happen? Holy Spirit. Or, have you ever had a time where you're reading a passage you have read hundreds of times? You, you memorized it. You know it. But when you're reading, there's just something today it speaks in a different way. You understand it in a way you've never seen before. And you wonder, how did I never miss that? Or how did I never see that? How did I always miss that? Where does that, that nugget come from? It's from the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul said we, we need the Holy Spirit to be to us the spirit of wisdom and revelation, the knowledge of God, not new revelation, the revelation, the deep things of God, he says in First Corinthians, the Holy Spirit reveals to us from the word, the Holy Spirit gives and renews hope. 
And may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, He works in our life. He gives and renews hope. Every time He speaks to us through the Word, I mean, it's just a reminder God is aware, right? I mean, again, for me, I can say that times I have read and it spoke so clearly to me. I'll give you an example. I was going through a time and it was just difficult. And there were, I would imagine in my mind, like fleeing and literally to the mountains. And I, I joked with, with Kelly, I was going to run away to New Mexico and open up a tacos truck. Right? I was going to go to the mountains and open up a taco truck at a gas station and change my name and nobody would know me. And I would just, that's all I would do in life. One day I came to pray and I prayed the Psalms and opened up to Psalm 11. And David writes, in the Lord I have put my trust. How do you say to me, flee to the mountains? And it was like God was saying, is that really what you're going to do? Are you really going to flee to the mountains because it's hard right now? I mean... You could say, well, what a coincidence, right? What a coincidence. It just happened to be the 11th when I was having these thoughts. Or or is it just God's like, I'm here. I'm I'm aware. And that gives and renews hope within us when the Holy Spirit reveals this stuff to us. Or or when we're going along in our lives and we've blown it, we've sinned, and the Holy Spirit begins to press on us about our sin. And we, you're right, Holy Spirit, I, I've sinned. And we, we go to the Lord and we confess it. And you think, well, how's that give hope? Well, think about it. We have gone astray and yet God didn't just let us go. He sent His Holy Spirit to, to tug us and to pull us back into the right way. I mean, God hasn't given up. Maybe I'm not what I ought to be, but God's not through with me yet. Oh man, there's, there's so much hope in that. And when we... Tempted to be impatient. We want to act out in anger and we, we just don't. Wow. And it's not a, I'm not going to. It's just, it's not worth it. It's like, wow, I, 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 this is happening. This is real. These things and, and more that the Holy Spirit does in our life. If we recognize the work of the Holy Spirit, it gives our hope. It strengthens our hope. It renews our hope. The Holy Spirit gives us certainty of salvation. For we have not received a spirit of, sla- a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit. We are children of God. This, this is, again, to me this is huge. I spent a lot of time wondering if I was really saved. And I was blessed with parents that would not tell me I was. And you think, well, that's awful harsh. But my parents couldn't tell me that for sure, could they? I mean, they could say I prayed at an altar, but did that mean I was saved? Not according to Matthew 7. So how would I know I was saved? Seek the Lord, they would say. Holy Spirit will show you. And in the end, what the Holy Spirit did to show me I was saved gave me far more certainty than if my mom and dad had just said I was. I never, I never tell anyone they're saved. Preacher, do you think I'm saved? Brother, I don't know. I don't have any way of knowing. You need to seek the Lord until you get assurance because the Holy Spirit will confirm in your heart you're saved. The Holy Spirit works to produce Christ-likeness. But we all with unveiled faces looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. The image of being looking in a mirror and being changed is that of the Holy Spirit just cleaning us, constantly cleaning us until the glory of the Lord is, is visible. Now, I know I've told this before, but in the army, when you go to basic training, they give you brass, but it's brass with this thick lacquer on it. And it's dull. But that's not good enough for the army. You have to have clean. So you get brasso and you scrub it and you scrub it and it gets that lacquer off. And then you look and you scrub it and you scrub it. And you have to do it until essentially it's like a mirror. And when you look into it, you can see yourself in it. And that's a picture of what the Holy Spirit does in us. When we first come to Jesus, yeah, we're, we're new, we're, we're shiny, but... 
there's all this junk. And it's got to be scrubbed off. And so the Holy Spirit takes the Word like Brasso and just rubs it, looks, and rubs some more. So the Holy Spirit helps us to become like Jesus. I mean, we, we can't just knuckle it under and do it. The Holy Spirit cleans us and shines us so that we reflect the glory of the Lord. The Holy Spirit empowers soul winning. You'll receive power and the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and as far as the remotest parts of the earth. One thing about this I want to say that I had never heard of. I heard a sermon on this and I had never thought of. We've always done it. I've always done it and heard it. Jerusalem is where you are. Judea is out. Samaria is a little further than that and in the uttermost parts of the world. And that's true to an extent, except this guy said, Samaria wasn't far out. It wasn't further out. Samaria was just right there. Samaria was where the people they didn't like lived. It's where the Holy Spirit empowers us not only to take the witness here and there and everywhere, The Holy Spirit empowers us to take the gospel to the people we would never talk to on a normal basis. The people we probably don't even like, we go to them in the name of Jesus with the message of Jesus. Anyway, that's what the Holy Spirit can do. And then the Holy Spirit gives us an awareness of opportunities to minister to others. Philip got ready and went. And and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot. Was reading Isaiah the prophet. And the spirit said to Philip. Go up and join this chariot. Philip ran up. Heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. And said do you understand what you're reading? The Holy Spirit made Philip aware of an opportunity to minister the gospel unto this guy. But here's the great thing. It's not just the gospel the Holy Spirit makes us aware of. He may make us aware of opportunities to share the gospel. But he may make us aware of opportunities just to be nice to someone. Just go sit by them. Just go say hi to them. You, I mean, you never know what people are going through. I mean, a kind word at just the right time. I mean, that, that's, that can be wonderful. Powerful in somebody's life. The Holy Spirit will lead us to do that. There's no telling the number of ways the Holy Spirit can lead us to minister to others. To, to make us aware. To see the opportunity. It's great if we are filled and we're sensitive and we're ready to follow. And this isn't a complete list, but can you see where these are needed in our lives, in our church? We need an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in our church, but we must be careful not to quench the Spirit, which we are expressly forbidden from doing. Do not quench the Spirit. And here's what I understand quenching the Spirit to mean. It's doing the opposite of what He's leading you to do. My understanding of Scripture, my own experience, the Holy Spirit rarely makes us do anything. I mean, even Jonah didn't have to go to Nineveh. He could have stayed and got digested by the the great fish. But Jonah, by and large, is a rarity. Rarely does God use that magnitude of circumstances to convince someone to go do. Mostly, what He does is He says, do this. Follow Me. Go where I want you to go. And He expects that we would know He has our best in mind, know He knows what's best, and we would go where He leads. And any time the Holy Spirit says, do this, and we say, No, we are, in effect, quenching the spirit in our lives. And here is what I believe the danger in that is. The more we quench the spirit, the easier it is to quench the spirit. And the easier it is to quench the spirit, the more we'll do it. And the more we do it, the less likely it is he will lead us. Think about it in your life. If you have somebody that comes to you for problems with their cars, if you're a mechanic and and you you should do this and they don't do it. And they continually don't do it. This is what would fix it. This is what would help it. This is what would make it better. Do you at some point stop trying to tell them and just just have to learn on their own? Or if somebody comes to you for for guidance in some issue, and it's not some random thing, but you, you really know. 
So you give the guidance. And what you're saying is right. It's not just an opinion. It's, it's legitimately right. And they don't do it. And they come back. Why, why, why aren't things better? Because you're not doing this. Oh. Well, and then they keep doing it, keep doing it. Do eventually, do you quit saying, I don't know what's going on. You just got to figure it out on your own, I suppose, right? And that, I mean, isn't that kind of what we do? Well, why would the Holy Spirit continually say, look at this neat this from the Word, if we're not going to take it and apply it? We're not going to share it as He would have us to. Why would the Holy Spirit continually try to lead us in a direction if we're going to always go in the other? Why would He continually fill us for service if all we're going to do is sit down and do nothing? The more we quench the Spirit, the more we quench the Spirit, the less likely He is to work in our lives. So what I want us to do is take time to pray now. Um, and We'll be quick. To pray, pray for one or two of these ways that you know that you need in your life. Maybe if you know you quench the Spirit, pray not to in this particular area. And let's take a couple of minutes and then we'll finish out. Father, we, we pray today for the filling of the Holy Spirit that He would begin to do these things in our lives. That the fruit of the Spirit be evident in our lives. That this be our character, who we are, who we're known as, what we li- how we live our lives. As we study the Word, let Your Spirit reveal truth to us. Whether it would be truth we didn't particularly, we had never noticed before. Whether it be something that He would speak into our lives to strengthen us and to help us and to encourage us. Let Him give and renew hope. Let Him lead us in the paths in which we ought to take. And and let us be careful not to quench the Spirit. Let us choose to err on the side of faith. And if we even think Your Spirit is leading us, let us jump out and do what He's calling us to do, knowing that if we move out in faith, He'll honor it. Let us be a a church where your spirit has liberty to move, to transform people. And that every time we gather and every time we're together, your spirit takes the word and uses it like brasso to strip off the lacquer and cause us to shine a little more like Jesus. Have your way in our hearts and our lives. We ask in Jesus name for his sake. Amen. The last part. Is just a reminder, and I don't think this is a problem in our church as much. But it, it's easy for us, particularly Baptists of, of any stripe, not just free will Baptists, but any Baptist who are Bible based, and we think the Bible is the foundation to to look at the excesses of the crazies, and we all know who the crazies are. The Spirit led them in this, and the Spirit said that. And, and it be just ridiculously odd, horrific things to watch. And it's easy for us to look at that and say, well, I don't want anything to do. I'll just, I have my Bible. I can have that, whatever that is. But I don't want anything to do with the Spirit if it's anything like that. And, and what we do when we do that is we miss out on what God has for us. And we don't want to do that. Now, granted, we, we don't want to be the crazies. But neither do we want to be the frozen chosen who don't hear the Spirit's call in our lives. There is something in between those extremes. And, and it's what the Bible says. The Bible calls on us in all of those things we just looked at to, to live in the Spirit, to experience the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit. In fact, We should know the Spirit. Jesus said 
the helper, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him and he remains in you, with you and will be in you. Paul said the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. The implication of fellowship is that we would have a relationship. We can know the Spirit as well as we know Jesus. We can know the Spirit as well as we know the Father. We can and we should. So let's be a people who seek that. Seek to know the Spirit. Seek to follow the Spirit. Seek to walk in the Spirit. Who refuse to let the excesses of the crazies determine we will be kept from something that is ours through faith in Jesus Christ. Let's choose every day to be a people who seek the Spirit and to be filled and led and empowered in our lives. Let's choose to rejoice in all God has given us by giving us the Holy Spirit. Let's choose to press in till we receive the fullness of the Spirit and not be content with anything less. And let's pray for a mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit on our lives and upon our church That would change us forever. Let's pray. Father we love you today. You are great and awesome. We thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. Help us to grow in our relationship with him. To understand him. To know his ways. To hear him when he speaks. To walk in him. And to keep in step and go where he would have us go. And do what he would have us to do. Whatever that would be. Let us not limit what he would do in us. Through us or for us. Let us not let... The excesses of others keep us from something that is legitimately ours through faith in Jesus. Let us be filled with your spirit and let that be evident in our lives. We ask in Jesus' name for his sake. Amen.